Malachi 3.1 says, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. We, in the course of our life, as we, as we travel and we journey uh, with God, there are a lot of things uh, in our relationship with God that take time. Uh, there is a process that God takes us through for a lot of things. And uh, sometimes, you know, we wait patiently and sometimes we wait impatiently. Uh, sometimes it, it seems it's taking longer uh, than we want it uh, to take. But then also there are times uh, in our life where God moves suddenly, where God moves quickly. And, and you, don't, you don't have to wait a long time. And Malachi is talking about one of those things. He says, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. There are some suddenlies in the kingdom of God. I believe, uh, and, and uh, William was, was kind of alluding to this, I, I believe that there is a door uh, in us that, that has to be opened uh, to really receive from the Lord. And, and I actually believe that through the course of our life, there, were, there are a series of doors that we move through. Uh, doors that God places before us, and his intention is that we would open those doors and, and move in. There, if you read through Scripture, you'll see this analogy throughout Scripture. Uh, there's a place where it says, open up the gates and let the King of glory come in. Uh, there's a, a place where G Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if you open the door, I will come in. Uh, there's also a, a psalm that says, open your mouth wide, and I will fill you up. And so there's this symbolism all through Scripture of us opening ourselves to the Lord and Him coming and, and filling and actually flooding our lives with His presence, with His goodness. And I believe it's, there's a series of doors because there's so many things that God wants to do in us and, and so many things that God wants to pour into us for the purpose then of using us and, and doing things through us. There's a door in our soul, there's a door in our spirit uh, that has to be opened. Uh, there's an invitation from the Lord, uh, an invitation uh, for intimacy really. I, I believe that God places doors before us all. And those doors are, are places of choosing, places where we have to decide, am I going to go on? Am I going to continue into more? Or am I just going to stay where I am? I, will I choose to just stop? And God's invitation always for us is to continue. God's encouragement, his desire, his heart for us is that we would continue, continue to go. Uh, I want to read from 2 Chronicles 29 uh, today. And uh, we started this church 22 years ago. And when we did, uh, in the early days of Riverstone, which back then it was called uh, Wesleyan Fellowship, and in those early days, um, as I began to pray, and I, I would not take over as senior pastor for two years, um, 2002. Um, so actually two and a half years after we started. But even in those early days, as I began to pray and really listen to the Lord, uh, he led me to this passage in Second Chronicles 29. And, and I knew in the early days that this would be the passage that God would use really uh, to form and, and to cast the vision 
uh, for the future of our church. So I want to read just the first 16 verses. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abiha, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any offering, burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and to serve him, to minister before him and to burn incense. Then these Levites set to work, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read through all those names again. You, they're just hard to pronounce. So let's just scroll on through and keep going. He names all of the people, and then he says, When they had assembled their fellow Levites and consecrated themselves, they went in to purify the temple of the Lord, as the king had ordered following the word of the Lord. The priests went into the sanctuary of the Lord to purify it, they brought out to the courtyard of the Lord's temple everything unclean that they found in the temple of the Lord. The Levites took it and carried it out to the Kidron Valley. Lord, I pray again that you would speak to us uh, this morning. I believe that there are things that you want to speak into our hearts, and, and we don't want to miss what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So all of this happens, and, and um, the new king, Hezekiah, is, is restoring worship, and he's calling the people together, and, and he's, he's cleansing the temple. He's getting all of the unclean things out of the temple, and, he, and he's restoring worship to its proper place. And then it says uh, in the verses that follow that 16 days later, 16 days he actually turned the direction of a nation in 16 days. In 16 days. Uh, after 16 days, it says, so the service of the Lord was reestablished. And verse 36 says, Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. 
because it was done so quickly. I say that to say that sometimes we feel like significant change takes a really long time. And here we see the, the whole direction and destiny of a nation shifts in 16 days. Uzziah was 16 years old when he took over as king. He was the great-grandfather of Hezekiah. And the scripture tells us that early in his uh, kingship that he, he was a good man and he did what was right in the eyes of God. But pride overtook him and he was struck with leprosy and, and actually died. Uh, his son Jotham took over as king and he was 25 years old when he took over. He was Hezekiah's grandfather. And the Bible says that he walked steadfastly with God and he honored the temple of the Lord. And then his son, who was Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, took over. And the Bible tells us that Ahaz was evil. Uh, in fact, under his leadership, the people were led into idol worship and Baal worship. And they didn't just tolerate wickedness, they promoted it. Uh, there was even a point during the reign of Ahaz where he actually sacrificed one of his own children uh, as a, a living sacrifice, a human sacrifice uh, to a false god. So uh, during his kingship also, Ahaz gathered together all the furnishings from the temple of God all the things that God had instructed his people to set up in the temple for the purpose of worship, Ahaz had the people gather them up and take them out. So he took all of the things that were, that were considered by the people of God, the holy things, he took them out of the temple, and then he locked the doors. And he set up these altars of false worship on every street corner. And it's into this anti-worship culture that Hezekiah comes. Hezekiah takes over, son of Ahaz. He takes over at the age of 29, or 25. And the Bible says of Hezekiah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now, we know that his biological father was Ahaz. So why does the scripture say that he did as his father David had done. Well, we, we know for one thing that genealogically, you know, David was that king that everyone looked to. And so all of the kings wanted to consider themselves a son of David. And even Jesus identified himself as a son of David. Uh, we also know that David was called a man after God's own heart. And so wouldn't you want to be a man after God's own heart? And so that could be a possibility. But I think also Scripture identifies Hezekiah specifically as a son of David because David was a worshiper. David was a worshiping king, and Hezekiah was a man of worship. Hezekiah was a man of worship. When he came into power, Hezekiah immediately did several things to reestablish the priority of worship, to get pri the priority of worship back in place the first thing he does is he opens the doors of the temple. His father had closed the doors and locked the doors. Hezekiah opens the doors of the temple to reestablish true worship. I, I believe that there is within the soul, within the heart of every human being, a door of worship that has to be opened and moved through. Every Christian on the planet has a door of worship 
that is open for them to move through into a place of intimacy and worship with the Most High God. The unfortunate thing, the sad thing, actually, is that most Christians never open that door. They never move through it, and and they settle for a place that's less than what God designed for them, less than what God intends for them. When when I was in high school, um, I, I was one of these at the dance, you know, when you go to a high school dance. This, this was my dance. That's about as good as it got. You know, I just, I wasn't, I, was, I didn't have the moves. Didn't have the moves, and I wasn't going to prove that I didn't have the moves. Uh, I remember uh, the first time that I danced in worship. I still didn't have the moves. But there was a place that I came to in worship where I knew there was a threshold that I had to cross. There was a door that I had to go through to get to the next place. And and I danced in worship, and it it wasn't pretty. But I can tell you that it changed me. It changed me. It changed me forever. Worship has never been the same for me since that day. There is a door for you. There's a door for you. There's a door for me when it comes to worship. There's a door that God wants us to open and move through into the place of intimacy with him. And, and, and many do not, many will not open it. And, and there are even some that they come and, and they, they come to worship services and they're in a place like this and, and they have a worship uh, pastor who, who invites them to move through that door. A worship pastor who might say something like, you know, let's all stand together. And, and, and you know, you know if you've been that person, that, that just the fact that the worship pastor has the audacity to tell you what to do, just immediately you move into a place of offense. Oh, I'm standing up. I don't have to stand up. I can worship sitting down. And then if you have a really crazy Worship pastor, he might say, hey, let's just lift our hands. What? You're telling me I have to? And, and we just choose to be offended. We choose to be offended and we choose to just stay where we are. God is inviting us into a deeper place. Not because he wants you to be uncomfortable, even though it might make you uncomfortable. For a moment, he's calling you into a deeper place because he loves you and he has more for you. There is a door of invitation when it comes to worship that's not about the kind of person you are. Trust me, if you know me, you know what my personality is like. Some of you are saying, Tom has a personality. I, I, you, you know what my personality is. My personality is not dancer, right? But guess what? When it comes to worship, it's not a question of what kind of person I am. It's a question of what kind of God he is. And he's worth it. He's worth it, and he wants to do something in you. And 
sometimes there are thresholds that you have to cross. Second thing that happens, Hezekiah calls the priest. He's opened the doors. He's reestablishing worship. He's he's, he's getting ready to call the people into that place of worship. And he he calls the Levites and the priests, and he says, get ready. Get ready to lead. He knows that a worship revolution is coming. And so he calls the leaders in. He says, "You, you guys better get ready. You better buckle up because something's coming. And you're the leaders, so you need to get ready for it. And he calls them in. This second door, it's a door of readiness. And the door of readiness says, no more business as usual, no more apathy. Wake up and take hold of your birthright. Get ready for what God is about to do. Last week, if you were here, we talked about this season of time and how you may wish you'd been born in another time. You know, maybe you wish you'd been born back in pioneer days, but that's only because you weren't, (laughs) right? You, You may wish that you'd been born or lived in a different time. You may have said, I wish I had been born and lived in any time except covid I'd take anything but that, but that's only because you didn't live during the bubonic plague or, or, you know, what is that how you say it? So anyway, whatever, pick, take your pick. The truth is, you're not here by mistake. It's not an accident that you're here. It's not a roll of the dice that you're here. God made you for this time. God made you for this time. And so the question that we have to ask is not, why am I here? The question is, why am I here? Why am I here? Why did God put me in this time? What is it that God wants me to do? If if God thought I should be born and live in this time, then I, I need to know why. I need to know what it is he wants to do in me, what it is he wants to do through me. I need to get ready. I need to get ready because something's coming that I'm supposed to be a part of in this season of time. I wasn't put here just to survive COVID. I was put here to change the world. I was put here to advance the kingdom of God. I was put here to do things that bring glory to his son. I was put here for a reason. I was put here for a purpose. The third thing that Hezekiah does is he cleanses the temple. He instructed that everything that was unclean should be brought out of the temple and into the courtyard. His father had done the opposite. His father had taken out what was clean and brought in what was unclean. And so this is a call for Hezekiah that it's not just a call to worship, but he is calling the people back to a priority of holiness. A priority of holiness. Get out the things that are unholy and get in the things that are holy. He's reestablishing, he's preparing the temple to be the place of worship. When Jesus comes in the New Testament, Jesus comes into the temple and he turns over the tables of the money changers and the scripture says he cleansed the temple. He ran out the thieves. And there was this spontaneous thing that happened 
When Jesus cleansed the temple, worship just happened. Mostly with the children. The children just began to sing and to worship, and the sick began to come and be healed. Now, we have to ask ourselves, Hezekiah cleansed the temple. Jesus cleansed the temple. Hezekiah cleansed the temple to set it up and reestablish the purpose and priority of worship. Jesus cleansed the temple and reestablished the priority of worship, and the power of God flowed freely. That was the temple then. And you are the temple now. You are the temple which means you were created and destined to be a house of worship where the Spirit of God flows freely. Does that feel like what you are? Because that's what you were made to be. A house of worship where the Spirit of God flows freely. That third door is a door of purity, it's a door of sanctification, it's a door of surrender, and it's a place of power. It is a place of power. The fourth thing that Hezekiah does is he calls the leaders to serve. He called them to get ready, and now he says, it's time. Verse 11, my sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and to serve him, to minister before him and to burn incense. You know what happens to people who wait for a better time? They just wait for a better time. If you're looking for a better time to start, chances are you'll never start. I'm fascinated with the story um, of Moses and Pharaoh in Exodus and you know, that whole interchange, that whole thing that goes on between them. And Moses comes and says, let my people go. And, you know, they kind of go back and forth, and Pharaoh will kind of relent a little bit, and then he'll change his mind. And, and then God begins to send plagues. And none of the plagues were good. None of them were good. And you may have, you know, the one that you would find most unbearable. Uh, I think about the flies. Ooh. Uh, I, I don't know. I couldn't do the flies. Um, but the plague, the plague that's most interesting to me is the plague of the frogs. I mean, just try in your mind to picture frogs everywhere. Everywhere. Frogs everywhere you look. And the Bible says that there were frogs in their beds. Yeah. And Pharaoh calls, you know, for Moses and says, okay, enough of these frogs. You get rid of the frogs, I'll let your people go. And you can look it up. It's, it's in Exodus, it's either 8.10 or 10.8. I think, I think it's 8.10. It says, uh, Moses says to Pharaoh, when do you want the frogs to be gone? Not a hard question, y'all. Not a hard question at all. And Pharaoh looks at Moses and says, how about tomorrow? 
really? How about tomorrow, Moses? I, I tell your God that I really want to sleep with the frogs one more night. <laughs> one more night. And yet, you know, we laugh. We laugh. Pharaoh, but God says to us every day, when do you want the frogs to be gone? And we say, how about tomorrow? How about tomorrow? God says, when, when do you want to move into the place of intimacy? How about tomorrow? When do you want to move into the place of power? How about tomorrow? When do you want to move into the place of freedom? How about tomorrow? There's a door. There is a door. Some of you know because you've gone through it. Others of you know because you've stood at the door and wanted to go through it and didn't. There's a door of worship. There's a door of readiness. There's a door of surrender. There's a door of obedience because God made you for something. He made you for something. He made you to know him, to love him, to be loved by him. He made you to find your identity in him. He made you to find your purpose in him, in, in his heart. But he also, in the midst of all of that, he made you to do stuff. He did. He made you to do stuff. He made you to do world-changing stuff. He didn't create anybody in this room to be average. He didn't create anybody in this room to be me mediocre. He didn't call anyone in this room to be less than. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And this is what he meant by that. If you follow me, I will make you like me and you will do what I do. When you become like me, you will do what I do. And that's why I said that even greater things than you've seen me do, you will do. I will make you like me and you will do what I do because there are some things that Jesus wants for us as his people. He wants us to be where he is. He wants us to be where he is, and that's why there is a call. There's an invitation to intimacy. He wants us to be with him. In John 17, he prays it, and he says, Father, I want them. I want them to be where I am. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to be in relationship with him, an intimate relationship that will change us forever. He wants us to be where he is, and he wants us to know what he knows. He wants us to know what he knows because he wants us to be as established in our identity as he is in his. Jesus never wavered on his identity. He knew who he was, and he wants you to know who you are. He wants us to gain our identity from the Father's heart, from the, from the knowledge of how the Father feels about us. When the Father spoke from heaven, this is my son, I love him, he pleases me. Jesus wants every one of us to hear that and to know it. He wants us to know what he knows and he wants us to have what he has. Luke says, 
That when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then it says a funny thing. And then he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Jesus wants you to have what he has. And he lived his life in this divine rhythm with the Father through this powerful outflowing of the Spirit. He walked in the power of the Spirit all the days of his life. And he wants it for you. He wants us to be where he is. He wants us to know what he knows. He wants us to have what he has because he wants us to do what he did. Now, hear me clearly on this. You may not have to do anything different than you are currently doing. You just have to do what you're currently doing differently. You may not have to do anything different. You just have to do what you're doing differently. That was the call of Hezekiah on his generation. From this point on, we're living for the kingdom. We're not just doing what we do. We're doing everything that we do for the kingdom. We're doing it differently. You don't need a new wife. You don't need a different wife. You need to be a husband differently. You don't need a different husband. You need to be a wife differently. You don't need different kids. You don't need to trade your kids in. Go to the kids' store. God, I'd like new kids. You don't need different kids. You need to parent differently. Guess what, kids? You don't need different parents. You need to be a kid differently. You don't need a new job necessarily. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't have a job. I don't, you know, it really doesn't matter what your job is or where your job is. You just need to do it differently to advance the kingdom. doesn't matter what the job is. It's how you do the job that determines whether it advances the kingdom or not. And that's what God is calling us to, is by the power of the Spirit to live differently. It doesn't happen by accident. It only happens on purpose. And it's time. It is so time. It's it's time. I have a friend, good friend of mine. He he planted a church in Lexington, or actually in, in Kentucky, near near Lexington, just outside of Lexington. And uh, <laughs> he grew up in a very traditional uh, church setting, traditional denomination. His dad was a pastor 
in that denomination. And then as he got ready, he, he had pastored in that denomination for a while. And he felt like God was calling him to plant something different. And so he planted a church that was more of a charismatic type church and really open to the things of the spirit. And, uh, and things were going well. The church was growing. God was showing up. Things were happening. And, and his dad said he was coming for a visit. And uh, he got really nervous. He actually told me that he, that he prayed uh, as, before his dad got there. He prayed and he said, God, this Sunday when my dad is here, um, how about don't do anything crazy? <laughs> so, of course, you know what God did. Uh, it was crazy. He said, you know, his dad was there and, and the Holy Spirit just moved in the place and, and people's lives were changed and it was electric. It was an electric day. He said even more so than we had been experiencing. And uh, he said, they drove home from church, not a word. It was an evening service. They drove home, nobody said a word the whole drive home. Got to the house, his dad didn't even slow down, just went, got out of the car, walked through the front door, and straight back to his bedroom, went to bed. And he was, oh gosh, this, this is terrible. He didn't sleep much that night, just wrestling and thinking, you know, what am I going to say to my dad? I don't want my dad to feel bad. I don't want my dad to feel, you know, his son's. He raised me, and now I've got this church that's you know, nothing like the one that I grew up in. And he just wrestled with it, and the next morning, he, he heard his dad knocking around in the kitchen. He goes in there, and his dad's in there trying to make coffee, and he says, here, Dad, let me, let me do that, and he makes the coffee, and he gets it brewing, and then he just turns around, and he looks at his dad. He says, Dad, are, are you Okay. Dad doesn't say anything. He says, Dad, are, 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 we, are we okay? He says, I mean, you know, I know last night and he doesn't really know what to say. And, and his dad looks at him. He said, a tear just ran down his cheek. And his dad said, all my life, I knew there had to be more. There had to be more. And I, I say to you today, no matter where you are, there's more. Do not stop. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't park and camp. There's more. There's more, there's more, there's more. Now let's pray. Lord, thank you for the more. I thank you that you never run out, never run out. There's always another hill. There's always another place. There's always another outpouring. There's always another move. There's always more. There's always a deeper place. I pray, God, 
I pray that you give us the grace and the courage to say yes and the willingness to open every door that you set before us, to cross every threshold that you put in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to invite our teams to come at this time. and We're going to have a, a time of prayer, time of ministry. Um, we'll have some, there will be one side of the room will have teams with masks, and one side will have uh, unmasked. And so whichever you prefer, um, just go to that side and someone will pray for you.